John chapter 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Can you say, with God? Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone who was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We're preaching through the Gospel of John. It's the fourth of four biographies of Jesus that are called Gospels or Good News books of his life from four different viewpoints, named after their writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew was a lawyer, so his book is great for preaching the commands of Christ from. Christ gave about... 70 commands in which to live. Isn't that much better than the 600 and some the Old Testament had? He said the Old Testament hung on two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And he told us how to live that way. It all begins in our heart. It was written to the Jew. So it contains, begins with Christ's earthly genealogy beginning with Abraham, going back to Abraham. The book of Mark was written for the common man, for the working man. It has no genealogy during roman empire days uh certain segments of that empire the culture had five slaves for every three people and other parts had three slaves for every five people so there was lots of slaves and so this book is written to portray jesus as the suffering servant and yet he is a king it's a wonderful book written by a nephew of simon peter the book of luke was written by a physician written from the viewpoint of the reader being Greek and Gentile, non-Jewish. So that book has a genealogy going all the way back to the first man, to Adam. And being a physician, his book has most of the healing miracles in it that you read about in the Gospels. Luke has more. The book of John was written last. It was John's last book. John wrote five books in the Bible. This This is the fifth one that he wrote. He's about 90 years of age. He's one of the last of the, uh, he is the last apostle to still be alive. And he's one of the last eyewitnesses to the majesty of Jesus. And they're slipping into the church different theories as to who Jesus is, who he was. Was he totally human or was he totally God? Was he not really human or was he not really God? And so he wrote his book to declare not only uh, uh, his belief about Jesus, but declare what he knew about Jesus and begins with, This amazing statement, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But before I get into the sermon, I have a little video to show you just to kind of introduce our subject today as introduction. 
In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without, Without him, him, nothing was made that has been made. In, in him, him was the life, and that life was the light of man. A good person. A man. Someone who lived a long time ago. He was in the world, and though the world was made, made through him, the world did not recognize him. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. He was a nice guy. A man in a book. Doesn't matter. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I thought a lot about it. I go back and forth. Was he the son of God? Yet to all who received him, to those who believed his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. He is the way, the truth, the life. He's God, my King, my Savior. Welcome to Jesus Is, a journey through John's Gospel. Right now we're in the introductory phase, and so we're going to be in John chapter 1 again today, just like we were during our first time together with this series last Sunday. Jesus Is, a journey through John's Gospel. John wrote towards the end of his book, I quoted earlier, that truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. In spite of all the theories that were blown through the land at the time and they're blowing around the world even today, John declares the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, he is the Son of God, and that by believing in him we may have life in his name. Last Sunday we spoke on Jesus being God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before Plato, Socrates, and Aristotle, there was a Greek philosopher named Heraclitus, one of the early founders of Greek philosophy, who philosophized that the meaning of everything was wrapped up in what he called the Logos, which is the very word that John uses for word. In the beginning was the word, he's saying in Greek when he wrote the book. In the beginning was the logos. He refers to what he believes is the true logos. Heraclitus said the meaning of everything was wrapped up in the logos, which, as I understand it, was the meaning of life that explained everything. In his writings, Heraclitus attempted to define what he believed the logos was with wise-sounding proverbs, like you can't step in the same place in the same river twice, things like that. Everything changes. That was one of his statements. Here from the start, John wrote that the Logos was much more than just the meaning of life. The Logos was life itself. The Logos was and is God, who came to earth as a man to bless those who would receive him with a relationship with himself. So today I would like to preach, Jesus is the Logos, or he is the Word the eternal word, much more than just meaning or theory or philosophies or thoughts. The Logos is the thinker himself. And he is God and he is with God. 
his deity, his divinity as understood by his preexistence before creation and his involvement in creation. Look at this. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he was and is God, and he is a creator. Here John not only connects with Greek culture and their beliefs about what they call the Logos in declaring that Jesus was a Logos, he also connects with Hebrew culture because this passage beautifully parallels with the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, where in Hebrew it was written, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Here in creation, we see the Word of God involved, and we see the Spirit of God involved. We see God, in the beginning, God. First four words of the Bible point to God as being present in the beginning, being the creator of the heavens and the earth, and the earth being without form and void, darkness being upon the face of the waters, and the Spirit of God, God's Spirit, hovering over the face of the waters, and then God speaking, or you could say God's Word, is let there be light, and there was light. So His Word is creative. It creates. And so here we see God, we see Spirit, and we see word. You did not see that. Psalm 119 says that the entrance of God's word brings light. If you're able to receive the declared written word today, there will be an enlightenment that will happen in your heart. So it is that the divine word, the eternal word, Jesus, the person of God that we call the word of God or the son of God, the word made flesh, he brings light. He is the light for the world. There is a doctrine called the doctrine of the Trinity or the triunity of God. God being one, yet being three in one. This explains what God is like. Just as water can be understood as vapor and as ice and as liquid, so God is understood as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Father, Word, and Spirit. 1 John 5, 7 says there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, and these three are one. How can three be one? Simple mathematics. One times one times one equals... There it is. In the Bible, we have God the Father. God this Word or the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Now, the Word can also be called the Word of God, or it can be called... God the Word. The Holy Spirit can be called the Holy Spirit of God or He can be called God the Holy Spirit. Because there is one God, He is God. You see that? Alright, back to our text. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. Now, last week we addressed Jesus being God. Alright? Today we're going to address Jesus being with God. We say with God. He is God, yet He is with God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, glorify me with the glory I had with you 
from the beginning. He was with God. The Word was God, yet the Word was with God. Jesus was with God before coming to earth. He didn't just suddenly come into existence when He was born in Bethlehem. The Word has always been. And yet, He is with God. When we try to wrap our minds around God, we live in this three-dimensional, or if you include time, a four-dimensional world, and it's hard to understand God, how He can be God, and yet He can be with God. In Genesis chapter 1, we read about the creation of man. God says... Here is here this one being says, let us make man in our image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So God can speak of himself in the plural because he is a plural being. Not three gods, one God, Father, Word, and Spirit. So Jesus is God and yet Jesus is with God. You see that? You accept the mystery. The Bible says great is the mystery of God without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness. For God was manifest in the flesh, received up into glory, believed on in the world. So if we accept the mysteries that we don't quite understand and embrace them and let them be, there's no controversy. But when we attempt to remove all mystery, then you create controversy. You have the cult that goes door to door attempting to say Jesus was not God. He was an angel or he was a God. And we saw last week that in the Hebrews chapter 1, the father calls his son God and says he's everlasting. And we saw in Revelation chapter 1, the son, Jesus, declares himself to be God, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. And so it's beautiful to recognize the vastness of God and how much we have to learn. The amazing wonders that He is. Now there is also a belief that crept into the church in the early days called Arianism, which is a belief that Jesus was God, yes, but the Son didn't exist until He was born in Bethlehem. Up until then, He was just a thought in the mind of the Father. I think what we're about to see is more than just a thought. In Proverbs, you take time to look into it. It's speaking of wisdom and goes into speaking of someone that is a person that no doubt is Jesus. He says, I've been established from everlasting. The Hebrew word established there means anointed. I've been anointed from everlasting from the beginning before there was ever an earth. This is speaking of Jesus. He was a lamb slain from the foundation of of the world. He was predestined to go to the cross before this planet was created. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. Where there were no fountains abounding with water. Now what is this bringing forth? This is a revealing. When you graduate, you're brought forth as a graduate, but you pre-existed the graduation. You see that? He was brought forth or He was revealed from the beginning of creation. Before the mountains were settled, before the hills I was brought forth. While as yet He had not made the dust, He had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. And we say pre-existence. This is pre-existence. If Jesus did not pre-exist Bethlehem, He's not God. When He prepared the heavens, I was there. When He drew a circle on the face of the deep, 
when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters could not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was beside him as a master craftsman. The word, let there be. That's the craftsman. I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Now this is a picture of the pre-incarnate or the pre-earth, the pre-flesh Jesus rejoicing. The Hebrew word rejoice means to laugh. What do you do when you're happy? You laugh. He delighted in this planet, rejoicing in his inhabited world. And my delight was with the sons of men. God so loved. He delights in us. See that? All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. While continuing to introduce John's biography of Jesus today, and declaring theological things about him being the eternal God and the creator of the universe, I'm well aware that there are some people here who are not sure as to whether or not God is real, that he has a son and that the son is God, or may even be wondering if God created everything. A thought may be going through your head, isn't evolution a factual explanation of all of this? If that is you, let me first of all say thank you for attending Generations today and giving me a little of your valuable time. Can we show our appreciation for those who are with us? who aren't sure about this Christian thing. Knowing that the evolution versus creation debate is worthy of more time and expertise than we'll experience here this morning, please allow me to detour a little with a video about the complexity of creation in order to help us think more deeply about the concept of there possibly being a designer to all this that we see. Watch this. complexity of the human cell or even the cell of a worm is so amazing so amazing that we should consider whether or not there is a designer to all this so I'll just leave that seed in your mind back to our text all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, did not understand it. 
people not walking with God did not recognize the Son of God was with them. Why? Because he, he came with great fanfare as far as the angels declaring him to some shepherds. But those guys weren't celebrities. He came born in a stable. Tradition says that stable actually was kind of a cave. A hollow place inside of a hill where the Son of God was, was born. Born to a virgin. Questionable legitimacy to his birth. Son of God, right. Raised in Nazareth like a you know, one-goat town in Mexico kind of deal. Lived like a hick, basically carpenter, common man. You had to humble yourself to see this was God. Sometimes there is greatness amongst us and we miss it. Maybe that greatness is a homeless person you met yesterday. Or that greatness is a little child that's going to cross your path today. You have no idea who we meet. Or that foreigner that's serving you at the convenience store. You need to walk in awareness. The Bible says we're to treat strangers kindly because in so doing, we may be entertaining angels. This guy is playing in Fort Worth tomorrow at Bass Hall, part of the Van Cliburn events. His name is Joshua Bell, an award-winning violinist. On January 12, 2007, this already famous young man played for 45 minutes in a Washington, D.C. metro subway dressed like this. Nobody knew who he was. During that time, since it was rush hour, it was calculated that thousands of people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. Three minutes went by, and a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace and stopped for a few seconds and then hurried up to meet his schedule. A minute later, the violinist received his first dollar tip. A woman threw the money in the till, because in front of him was his violin case with a couple dollars in there as seeds. But she didn't stop. She just continued walking. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him. But the man looked at his watch and started to walk again. Clearly, he was late for work. The person who paid the most attention during this 45 minutes was a three-year-old boy. His mama was in a hurry, but the kid stopped to look at the violinist. Finally, she pushed hard, and the kid continued to walk with her, turning his head all the time, watching this world-famous musician. This action was repeated by several other children. All the parents, without exception, forced them to move on. Only six people stopped and stayed for a while. About 20 gave him money, but continued to walk their normal pace. He collected a total of $32. When he finished playing and silence took over and no one noticed, no one applauded, nor was there any recognition what had just happened. No one knew this but the violinist, the famous award-winning Joshua Bell, one of the best musicians in the world. He played one of the most intricate pieces ever written with a violin that he was playing. It was worth $3.5 million. Two days before he was playing in the subway, he was playing to a sold-out crowd at a theater in Boston where the seats averaged 100 bucks apiece. This is a real story. Playing incognito in the metro station was organized by the Washington Post as part of a social experiment about perception 
taste, and the priorities of people. The outlines were, in a commonplace environment, at an inappropriate hour, do we perceive beauty? Do we stop to appreciate it? Do we recognize talent in an unexpected context? You can go to YouTube and watch this video that Washington Post made of this guy doing this. It's interesting. John 1.10 again. He was in the world. The world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He marked history for all time. We call this year 2013 based on his life. A.D., you know, they're trying to call it something else. A.D., Anno Domino, meaning the time of our Lord. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We need help to be born again. We need for God to open our eyes, do we not? And verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and Truth without grace will kill you. The truth is we are sinners. If you do not believe it, read the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. Now you can even read the Hood County News. The truth is something's wrong. And we can make laws to try to correct the error of the world, take people's guns away like England did, And maybe that will do away with senseless murders. You know, there's a move in England recently to do away with sharp-pointed knives, make them illegal to have them in your kitchen. The problem is our hearts. Our hearts. Our hearts. If you have to have 50 guns in your arsenal, you better check your heart. Is your trust in Him? I'm not saying not to have any guns. I'm just saying our hearts is the issue. really given our life to him. And so he came to bring truth. Coupled with that truth is his grace, his mercy. The truth is we need help. We need a Savior. He is that Savior. He is that help. The Word of God came to earth as a man. And declared the truth with grace. We're going to see in this book a woman caught in adultery who according to the Old Testament law carried the death penalty by stoning before they killed her to chain Jesus because here he was bringing such grace. We're going to confront him and catch him speaking against the law of Moses so we can kill him too. He threw her down at his feet and says, Moses said she should be stoned. We caught her. Jesus is writing in the dust. The Word of God is writing His Word in the dust. I don't know what He wrote, but He's writing His Word in the dust. He looks up at him and said, He that is without sin, 
cast the first stone. The truth is, the law of Moses proves that we are all sinners. Laws can create a measure of stability in a society, but can't change our hearts. The code of laws in our nation are over 100,000 pages long. And we still got problems. Because we need grace. We need a heart change. And when you realize that God sent His Son, which is the ultimate gift, you know, you can slap me around and I can forgive you, but slap my child around, that is a high offense. God allowed that to happen so that we could see the demonstration of His love and mercy. When the cross happened, the planet should have melted under the wrath of God. God allowed it to happen, knowing that He would raise Him from the dead, so that through humility, recognizing we need a Savior, we could put faith in Him for that humble act. He died in my place so that I can be forgiven. And not only me, but the people that have hurt me, I can forgive them too because Jesus took their place. That's amazing love. How can it be that my King would die for me? The Word of God is I love you. I accept you. Later on in John chapter 1, he meets a man named Simon and the Word of God gives him a new name. He calls him Cephas. Known in the Greek language, Cephas is Aramaic, and the Greek language is Peter. Simon was named Peter by the Word of God. Gave him a new identity. He does that for us. A few verses later, a man named Nathaniel speaks ill of Christ's hometown. When Christ meets him, he doesn't say, Hey, you're not from such a hot place yourself. No. He spoke well of him. said, There's an Israelite in whom there is no guile. What is that? That's an expression of love. Speaking forth, no guile? I mean, a person that had absolutely no guile? I don't think so. But being the God who calls those things which be not as though they were, Jesus spoke life where it was going to be. That's the Word of God. The next chapter, He cleanses the temple. He turns water into wine. He begins to bring transformation everywhere He goes. God's words bring life. In John 10.10, 10, he says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. We're talking about the word of life.
Not only did he demonstrate his love some 2,000 years ago in history and marked it permanently, he still does things today. He said, wherever two of you agree in my name, it will be done for you in prayer. So in a moment, I'm going to call the prayer team to come forward to agree in prayer with anyone that has a need. And we believe God will move in our behalf by giving wisdom, bringing healing, changing lives, even salvation, if that's what we need. Fill us with His Spirit. Give us understanding. Give us grace to endure whatever we're going through. And so, at this time, I'll call the prayer team forward. Just come forward. If you would like to receive prayer about anything, agree in prayer about anything, we'll be up here to pray with you. So come forward as we're coming forward to pray with you. Just come on up. You need to receive prayer as we end the service with worship. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And may the Word of God bring life to you, even now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come forward and receive prayer. Jesus, you.